Acknowledge me. It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. Oh. The smile at you and kick your face off. I'm done with that. You got me mad now. You know, you got a bad tickle. Feeling good. All the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. I love Burger. I was like, yes. <laughs> like, this guy's awesome. With my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick McCone. That's me. Are you humanoid? Get ready. I don't know where the kid is that was a riding but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Christian's a man! Oh! And I have passed the brain to see But I don't like it when things aren't going my way. Don't you I got know my wrestling. Ball, right? He don't know. He don't know nothing else. <laughs> you know that wrestling. Well, he know that wrestling ball. <laughs> <laughs> he was about to hop over the table. What? The heck? You are your heart. What a beast! No sleep, no food, no nothing. Just maniacism. You got the water, man. Give me a hell yeah! I said, give me a hell yeah! What's up, ladies and gentlemen, out there in internet land, and welcome to episode 384 of The Straight Shooters, available wherever podcasts are found. My name is Vaughn Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pans, Nick Bacone, a Fox PHL, the gambler and Philly influencer. And we have a special guest in the building. We have the author of Kayfabe, a love story, David Ruder. David, welcome to The Straight Shooters, and thanks for joining us, good sir. Nick Vaughn, thanks for having me. First time, long time. Oh, that's great to hear. Good old Philly radio uh, cliche there. First time, long time, of course. <laughs> You'll hang up and listen to the questions after that? That's right. The last caller stole my thunder, but I'm going ha- I'm, I'm to hang up and listen. <laughs> how are you, though? How, how, how are, how's everything going in the world of David Ruder at the moment? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, yeah, just uh, wrote a book about uh, wrestling from 1987, because why not? What could be more topical in 2024? Exactly. Writing a book about wrestling from 35 years ago. So uh, just trying to get the word out and hope people enjoy uh, reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it. Because for two years, I locked myself uh, in the basement and watched and consumed as much wrestling as possible. And it was maybe the greatest two years of my life, to be honest, selfishly. So, uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed myself. I really enjoyed writing the book and uh, hope people check it out and hope people uh, love reading it. And your book that we're talking about, Kayfabe, A Love Story, is the reason why you're here, obviously. And we're excited to have you because this book is uh, authored and, and written in a unique way because you wrote it, you know, some things based off of your life, you know, some tales. But the way you talk about wrestling is strictly Kayfabe. It is strictly as if it is reality. There's no use of real names. We're not talking about, oh, the way that it's booked or the story or nothing like that. No, this is what happened. And specifically, we'll talk about it. Your your 1992 War Rumble handicap odds uh, for that particular match, hilarious. Uh, I read through your odds there in that, uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, just kind of you know, for, first of all, let's go through a little bit of a synopsis of the book real quick, straight from Amazon. Okay, right. uh, where obviously the book is available wherever books are found, including Amazon here, but. Uh, according to Amazon, it is paying homage to 1987's WrestleMania 3. Kayfabe, a love story, is a collection of 87 essays written in an alternate alternate universe where professional wrestling isn't scripted and the match results aren't predetermined. 
So step around the shards of glass from the broken barbershop window and cozy up next to your favorite top turnbuckle because a love story is indeed a happening. That's great. Nice and succinct. That's great stuff right there. So without giving out, without giving away the entire prologue of the book, because we obviously want people to pay for the book and read that, uh, tell people just kind of how this book came about. I'm, I'm sure it came from a German of an idea. Uh, but yeah, tell, tell everybody, for those who haven't heard you talk about it before or yeah. haven't read the book yet, how this book came about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is my third book. Uh, I wrote two books. First one about the uh, Sixers, Sixers Odyssey, then a Phillies Odyssey, which is uh, chapters or uh, a book about random athletes on the Sixers and random athletes from the Phillies. So I start off in the Philadelphia blogging world. Uh, like everyone else in the 2000s, I started a blog. No one read mine. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> probably I'm not alone there. I'm not the first person who started a blog and nobody read it. But the, the premise of the first two books were short, quick chapters. And I kind of like that premise from my old blogging world where I, I don't think I can write a fiction book, Vaughn, but I think I can write a bunch of blog posts. And I treat each chapter only a couple pages long as blog posts. So when I was kind of deciding on what I wanted my third book to be, my wife actually said, and my wife books a territory in my house, said, uh, <laughs> you, should write, you should write a book about wrestling. And I was like, huh. And kind of like the light bulb went off. And I think with the kayfabe, the kayfabe's been dead for, what, 20 years or so, right? There's so much transparency on social media and all the pro wrestlers on social media. And everyone knows kind of their behind-the-scenes stories and you know, Dave Meltzer, et cetera, et cetera. I knew I didn't want to write that book. And I'm Vaughn. I'm someone who loves that stuff. I've seen more shoot interviews on YouTube than I care to admit. I love all that stuff. I read Mick Foley's book. I read Roddy Piper's book. I read Bret Hart's book twice. I love all that stuff but I am not the person to write that. And I don't think I could have brought anything new to the conversation. But what I think I can offer was just like you, Nick, and everybody else is that growing up, I became a fan of pro wrestling. So I grew up in the golden era with Hulk Hogan and Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought as opposed to trying to write about the, the behind the scenes and who had heat backstage and you know, you know booking decisions, so on and so forth, what if I, as a 39-year-old guy, went back in time, watched all the stuff I watched as a kid under the premise that it's all taken at face value, that nothing was predetermined, that nothing was scripted. So I thought that there's me as a 39-year-old kid watching the same stuff that I watched when I was five, six, and seven years old, thinking that it's all real. None of it's predetermined. None of it's scripted. I thought there'd be a lot of entertainment that could come out of that. And make no mistake, the book is intended to be funny. It is intended to be tongue-in-cheek. It's intended to make you laugh. If you go through one of these essays, and each chapter is only about three or four pages long, and don't laugh, then I failed. I didn't do my job. But my intent was certainly to write a funny book uh, that kind of reminds you why you fell in love with pro wrestling in the first place. And that's why it's called a you know, kayfabe love story. So I am hoping that it you know drums up these feelings of nostalgia is that when you read that book, it's just like, you know, I remember, you know, watching that Hogan-Andre match, WrestleMania 3, whatever the case may be. So I wanted to, you know, be the, I wanted to do what is completely different. Everything now is tied to shoot stuff. And what if I did the complete opposite and went against the grain completely in 2024 and wrote something that was strictly in kayfabe? Awesome. Awesome. And the tailor made for this podcast, we do deep dives into shows from the past. Yeah. And it's all nostalgia. And I always ask Nick, 
you know, especially because he, he's a little bit older than me, but he remembers a lot of stuff better than I do sometimes. I'm like, where were you in life at that point? And it's right. always a fun conversation. Right. Talk about where we both were in life at certain some for certain events, because there's some events he remembers when he was a kid and I don't have any recollection at all. And, you know, vice versa or whatever. But it's always fun to talk about those pretty much glory days, whether it's the 80s for you or for me, the you know, late 90s into the early 2000s. Nick, you know, 1995 for some reason. Uh, <laughs> Maybe the worst year of professional wrestling there was, by the way, 1995, Nick. But, but the content. It's tremendous, it's tremendous content. So it is. There's a reason we still talk about 1995. That's fair. That's fair. The dungeon. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Both <laughs> WF and WCW were struggling in 1995. Right. But I yeah. think uh, in the book that I have, uh, Vaughn, is I like to include those stories, you know, from my life. And the first chapter is uh, the two Dave Hebners, right? The evil Dave Hebner. And in that chapter, I include. I specifically remember watching that match with my father and I didn't watch it live. It was on a Friday night main event. It wasn't Saturday night's main event. It was Friday night, but I remember taping it because I was a young kid and I couldn't stay up that late, but I remember watching it that next morning or another weekend morning right after. And I had never seen Hogan lose. So when I see like these two referees and they're all pointing at each other, I'm like screaming, like, can't, this is obviously Hulk was screwed. And I remember like looking at my dad, who's like, you know, the person I looked up to, my hero, it, expecting him to like, hey, Dave, everything's going to be okay. You know, <laughs> they're going to straighten this out. Like the title didn't change hands. And my dad just cracking up. He thinks this is the funniest <laughs> thing in the world because he just kept saying, there's two of them. There's two Dave Hebners. And he thinks this is like the greatest comedy routine of all time. And that's making me even more mad. Because like, where's dad? Where are you? Like, you, your son's hurting right now. He's pissed. I'm like, I'm about to punch the drywall with my little fist, and you're just sitting there laughing. And to me, I think that's relatable, right? And it's maybe not uh, Hogan Andre from the main event, but maybe it's Hogan Warrior, or maybe it's Heart Foundation, Brain Busters, whatever. Everyone probably has that match as a kid. Maybe Nick has it from some terrible match in 1995, where he remembers specifically watching that. And maybe getting really mad at a result or getting really happy at a result. So I thought that particular story, for instance, which starts off the book, uh, is relatable, right? And maybe it's not that match, but I think everyone who reads the book probably has an example or a story from their childhood where they're watching something and they're getting really mad because when you're five or six, seven years old, you don't know it's predetermined. You don't know it's scripted. All, all I knew was that Hulk Hogan got screwed and that there was a second guy who got facial plastic surgery, looked like Dave Hefner, and I don't know why he went through it. And I, like Hulk, want to know how much Ted DiBiase paid that man, guy. How much did he right? pay him, man? And, you know, like in 1988, <laughs> how advanced was modern science? Like how, I mean, you know, man. so to me, it's just, I think these were like, that was an obvious story to include in the book because I hope it's relatable, not to that match per se, but I think everyone has that experience as a kid watching pro wrestling. And I started watching wrestling in 1990. So my first experience was uh, Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior. That was the first match I ever saw. So it's almost like, okay, how much bigger can that really get, especially sure. in that time frame? Um, like if I if my first match was Hulk Hogan versus Sergeant Slaughter, I'd probably be like, oh my God, Sergeant Slaughter is the biggest, you know, a, a wrestler ever, you know, yeah. like main event of WrestleMania. So that being my first match, 
and uh, not, I didn't see it live. I saw it, you know, I, I went over to my babysitter's house and her family loved wrestling. So right. that's how I got into it. I'd be watching it whenever I was over there. They'd be watching it. And I, I remember watching that match and just being like, wow, like just the aesthetics of it, like the huge stadium, the red, white, and blue ropes, the colors, right. the colors Hulk Hogan wore. Ultimate Warrior had the face paint on his chest, which I guess is chest paint. Um, <laughs> they, just incredible stuff that I just was like mesmerized by. Right. So, you know, my family started uh, getting me into wrestling. You know, they know I was taking to it when I was over at my babysitters. So this book starts in, in what, 87 to 93, right? So that's like right in my wheelhouse, basically. Like, I love like the first the first thing I read. Uh, picked up a copy of it. Uh, well, thank you, Dave. Uh, sending me one. Um, just the two Hebners. I wish I saw that live, kind of, because I feel like I missed out. The right. way you just explain that is like, man, I have so many memories of my early childhood watching wrestling. But like that might have been like if I saw that live, I, I don't know. I might have been like almost too crushed to sure. continue watching it. Especially I'm still, I'm still Hogan, in therapy well, trying to get over that. So <laughs> I have Hogan's my hero, right. you know, like, so that's just like an, an incredible way to view it. And and you said you had, you know, you had some other books. So I'm just kind of wondering, you know, I watch wrestling for fun. You know, we do this podcast. I used to write about it. Vaughn writes about it now, not me as much, but you know, I'm still open to that, but now I just kind of watch the old stuff because it brings back the nostalgic feeling. It brings back the memory of being in my house with my parents and I'm like eight years old and I'm comfortable and I'm safe sure. and I'm watching the only thing I loved. I didn't watch sports growing up except mm. the Phillies. Right. You know, I didn't watch anything except wrestling. I didn't watch cartoons. I didn't watch uh, or read comic books. So wrestling was my thing growing up. So it was there, you know, I watched stuff all the time just randomly like any day i'll put in like an old thing an old show from the early 90s is that like how did your idea for writing this book were, were you watching something and you're like you know it'd be really funny to kind of write something yeah. as if what i'm watching right now is real or did you kind of already have an idea before you know as you were writing your other books that this was something that you wanted to do eventually that's a great question. So when I uh, I was on a podcast for my first book, this Sixers Odyssey, and uh, the host that had me are big wrestling fans, and I know I loved wrestling growing up. And before we recorded or after we recorded, he actually made some joke. He goes, you know, I would read 100,000 words that you would write on the Beverly Brothers. And I laughed. I was like, Come if on. I wrote 100,000 words on the Beverly Brothers, only Blake and Bell were reading that. No one else <laughs> is reading that, right? But it maybe I planted a seed in my head that I don't think I realized at the time. Mm. Because then when my wife said it, I was like, gosh, like, there was such a huge audience for it, right? Like, there are so many wrestling fans that kind of want to, you know, kind of digest all this content. But then it was kind of, I don't have it in, right? It's, you know, I am not a journalist. I am not a writer by trade. And it's just like, what, where's my angle? I guess I think I was trying to kind of determine. So what I did is I started watching all the Saturday night's main events because for the most part, I had seen pretty much everything via YouTube after, long after 1992, which was the last Saturday night's main event. But I, I never watched him live as a kid because they're on too late. 
So I think around like before SNL or after SNL, and I was at a bedtime. So I started watching all of those because I knew a lot of big things happen. And I knew it was a lot of the, it was matches. It wasn't just squash matches. And I just hadn't seen them in so long or hadn't seen them in its entirety. And I just started watching it to jog my memory. And I, I start off with this in a prologue is that I was watching a Saturday Night's Main event. I started from 1985 through 92. They were the very first. I watched a lot of wrestling cover 85 through 93. But the very first thing I watched, I watched, watched were all the Saturday Night's Main events. And there was one, 1989 is in November. And it was the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes against a still heel at this time, Big Boss Man, who turned babyface a few months later. And he was managed by Slick. So they get in the ring, and American Dream starts talking to the ref, and he starts pointing outside to Slick, starts talking to the referee, kind of getting in his ear. And Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura were on commentary, and they're kind of like, you know, what's going on there, Jess? Like, I don't know. What's, what's Dusty saying? And I'm sitting here. I don't know if I had seen that match live or even seen it on YouTube. So I'm almost like watching it for the first time. I started laughing. Like, what, like why is Dusty Rhodes pointing at Slick, right? And all of a sudden, a ref comes over to talk to Slick on the outside. And Slick reaches into his wallet, pulls out, looks to be a business card, hands it to the referee. And Jesse Ventura says, oh, of course. Slick showing the referee his manager's license, proving that he has a right to be at ringside. And Vaughn and Nick, I started laughing hysterically like in my living room. I was like, Slick's been a manager since 1986. He was introduced in 1986 on an episode of All-American or Championship Wrestling where he purchased one half of Classy Freddie Blassie's stable. This man per paid Freddie Blassie's money to acquire half of his wrestlers. And now here we are almost in 1990, and you have Dusty Rhodes saying – you know, what's he doing at ringside? Can he be at ringside? <laughs> and the fact that Jesse Ventura so matter-of-factly said, oh, he's showing him his manager's license. <laughs> I thought, and all of a sudden, it was like a eureka moment. I'm like, that's it. That's the book, right? Yeah. That's the book. It's just the, the beauty of kayfabe where everyone's in on the joke. And he can see, it's like everything said with like a wink and a nod. And of course, like Jesse Ventura knows what he just said was complete BS. There is, <laughs> there is no manager's license. Right. He handed him just a plain business card. But the ref looked at it and studied and said, oh, you can be here. As if now three years later that this was ever right. like under, uh, you know, uh, discretion. Like, you know, is the slickster allowed to be at ringside? And I saw that and I said, that's the book. So from then and there, I started watching everything. And I wrote down about 40 chapter ideas as – Stuff that I remember vividly is what would be funny for me to write as if it wasn't scripted. Uh, it was Ricky Steamboat, Randy Savage, and the Crush Larynx. Ricky Steamboat was my favorite wrestler, which drove me crazy. It's like that was an easy chapter. Obviously, it was the two Dave Hebners. It was Mr. Fuji who was managing Demolition, a tag team champs, who then turned on Demolition to manage the Powers of Pain, who weren't the champs. <laughs> and then the man did a tag title shot at wrestlemania 5 and the whole chapter i write about that is you were already managing the tag champs <laughs> axe and smash loved you what are we doing here <laughs> and to me as i as i rewatch wrestlemania 5 and then i watched survivor series 1988 which started off that feud and Fuji turned his back on demolition the whole time i'm like as a manager you were working your way up to manage the champions you are managing the champions. Demolition loved you. And you're like, nah, 
I, yeah, enough of these guys. I'd rather take the number one contenders. And to me, even saying it, you see how ridiculous it sounds. But if I could put those thoughts to paper, I'm like, I think that's a pretty good premise for a book. At the, your, what you just said kind of leads into my next question is that for me personally, I love writing about pro wrestling, especially, you know, I, I like telling the stories of, I like telling the real stories about wrestlers because they are fascinating. But the kayfabe story of wrestling is absurd because wrestling is an absurd form of entertainment. And you have these stories that are just goofy and they are unintentionally sometimes hilarious. Like you just said, Mr. Fuji, why would you turn on the champs? That's like, hey, we're the Super Bowl champs. I'm leaving. Or I guess he just pulled a Jim Harbaugh. He just won a natty right. from Michigan and he left. Exactly. <laughs> for exactly. the third or fourth place team in the AFC West. So different circumstances, obviously. But it just seems on a surface and within wrestling, it seems absurd, right? Right. What, and I was going to ask you, what makes these stories so fascinating for you to write them, to take the time to sit down and recount them and tell them? Sure. Again, even, despite how ridiculous they may be. I mean, some of these stories are literally ridiculous that <laughs> – a Hollywood writer be like, huh, this is right. this is garbage. But to us, is fascinating. The twin referee thing is ridiculous. Right. It's a ridiculous premise. Someone changed their face for Ted DiBiase. Does not make any sense? Like how, down, how down on your luck you must have been to be like, right. you know what? Man, I'm really cash strapped. <laughs> I, you know, here's, a picture, here's a picture of Dave Hebner. He's a pretty good looking guy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> also that. Why would you want to be Dave Hebner? <laughs> when surgery? Tuesday morning? All right, I'll be there. Yeah. My I, wife thinks I'm ugly. She's yeah, about right? to leave. Yeah, here's I'm also change it up. Yeah, here's Tangray. And Vaughn, to answer your question, I think what's so fascinating about it is that when I was a kid, I didn't realize it was scripted. When I was a kid, it was it was real. And I think going back in time, that's what's so fascinating is all these things I took at face value where now as I watch it 30 years, 25 years later, how absurd it is and how ridiculous it is. Back when I was like five, six, seven years old, I took everything at face value. So to me to kind of go back in time and try to kind of put on these glasses as like a kid in first or second grade watching this for the first time. And it was just like, yeah, I don't know how in 1989 – they did a surgery on this man to make it look like Dave Hefner, but it, it happened. That's not, you know, I'm not a doctor, Vaughn. You know, a I'm not a money. doctor. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, he had a lot of money, rich. man. Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. He's a million-dollar man. And Hulk Hogan always called him a billion-dollar man for some reason. Like, why? Multi-million dollar. Like, the multi-million. Like, what the hell? <laughs> if you hate yeah, the man more than so one million, much, guys. <laughs> if you hate the man so much, why are you rounding up? Anything round down, you know, the thousand-dollar man. But I, I think it's because back as it, when we were kids, Vaughn, is I didn't know any better. So to me, that was a fascinating aspect is I'm writing about all these things as if I was a kid again. And obviously with like, with a wink and a nod and trying to make it humorous and funny, but seeing it for the second time, but almost pretending like I'm watching it the first time, you know, as a kid. And I think part of that is uh, a lot of people that read the book, you know, I've read some of it. Uh, we think the same exact thing. Like we're reading your words, but when we were watching that live, when we were a kid, we're probably thinking the same exact thing. Is even that, like as an adult watching it back, we're probably like, man, as a kid, like I was really gullible, and that's really funny. But like you're putting it to words, and you're and just reading it, you're like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought back then. <laughs> like, right? And it's just it, there's something about that where it, it's even more humorous when you're like you're reading, you know, about. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, Randy Savage getting bitten by a snake or something. And you're just like, <laughs> sure. why the hell 
was Jake Roberts not arrested? And why is it? Why is his explanation that the snake wasn't venomous good enough for him not to be like fired or something? Like why? Like, oh, it's okay that the snake bit him though, because you know it was devenomized or something. Like that's Just, not holding up in the court of law. Like there's no jury right. that, that's like, oh, we can't convict him. You know that cobra wasn't venomous. You know, he told us like <laughs> silly there's prank. No, silly there's prank. no lab paperwork, but right. he told us at face value, right, and that's exactly. good enough for Jack on the take Tunny. So. <laughs> It, one of those things, like just stuff like that. And that was the first instance of wrestling. So that happened like late 91, right? Yep. And I had been watching a little over a year at that point. And that was the first time I was really like scared as hell. <laughs> like when I'm watching wrestling and I'm like, I am scared. I do not want to watch this anymore. Like right. why would I want to watch this? Bring out Earthquake or something. I'd rather see Earthquake squash somebody <laughs> um, rather than, you know, Randy Savage get bitten by a damn snake. Right. And uh, this is, of course, after Earthquake squashed Damien. <laughs> right. Like exactly. that, which I didn't actually see live. Um, that was like probably one of the weeks I missed. I didn't watch it. Right. So I don't remember that story. But I remember obviously watching back when I grew up. And I was like, wait, so that actually happened after I started watching. But I just didn't see it live. But I sure as hell saw Randy Savage get bitten by a snake live. So, <laughs> And how they... Uh, Elizabeth came running out and they're wiping her screams into the TV and I like run out of the room kind of because I'm like I'm not watching this and my dad's just sitting there watching because he just watches whatever's on TV right. it's not like he, he doesn't care I come back in he's just like yep like he got bit by a snake all right well here's Jim Powers <laughs> yeah. coming out for like a, yeah, here's Jim Powers. a next right. match or something right. so <laughs> it was just stuff like that it's when I saw that live I was seeing snakes everywhere in my house like the garden hose was a snake like that i was terrified like i'm like sleeping in the floor of my parents bedroom because it's like i was seeing snakes everywhere and that was saturday morning right superstars was saturday morning wrestling challenge was sunday morning this is like saturday morning 10 a.m and i'm seeing a a human being being bit by a supposedly non-venomous cobra like Like, that's ready savage punching the air everywhere he's falling everywhere is it really devenomized i'm not so sure Uh, he's hurt you know i don't know i I don't know if you know a snake injury one from the other but randy savage sure looked injured it sure he had that (laughs) venom going through his veins i actually have a theory about because 1991 and 92 a lot of crazy things happen and i have this theory and I have a, a running gag in the book, whereas I always trash Jack Tunney. <laughs> Nothing against Jack Tunney, but I have a running gag, and I have the second to last chapter of the book is basically a Twitter thread, Twitter thread, as if Twitter was around back then, ripping Jack Tunney. Right? It's a running gag. Obviously, it's a joke. I have no opinion about Jack Tunney one way or the other, but I have a theory that in 1990, Jack Tunney, kayfabe, suspended Rick Rude indefinitely. For a couple of mama jokes about the big boss. Man. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was a pretty harsh penalty, Vaughn. Like, I don't <laughs> like, all right. Like people have been like talking trash for years, but like a couple mama jokes and all of a sudden Rick Rue gets suspended indefinitely. And I think my theory is that the, the pushback from that harsh punishment was so drastic that Jack Tunney went the other way on the pendulum and then started letting everything go. Oh, because wow. the berserker took a sword and tried to murder <laughs> Undertaker. <laughs> Nothing happened. You know, he's probably at wrestling challenge the next day. He overcorrected. You have, co- you have Cobra bites. He overcorrected. Exactly. You have Jake Roberts have an ultimate warrior go through like his snake funhouse. His funhouse <laughs> of snakes. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, 
the repo man tried to strangle the British bulldog with a tow rope. And like Gorilla Monsoons is like, oh, we need to get some help down here. I'm like, he's getting like he's getting hung. He's getting hung right now. And Bobby Heen is like, oh, he might as well, you know, drag his carcass to the local pound. And I'm like, where can we get some help around here? But all of these events happen after Jack Tunney suspended Rick Rude for a couple of mama jokes. And the only thing I can think of is that Jack Tunney and Kayfe was this like he get you know the the blowback was way too hard that he just started let everything go, let everything go. Right, snakes and, biting people, right. people getting strangled. Everything was allowed, and even at this Tuesday in Texas, Rick uh, Rick Rude, sorry, Randy Savage fought Jake uh, Roberts again, and snakes were banned from ringside after the cobra bite. Good all on reptiles. Jack Tunney. All, all reptiles, <laughs> correct. Thank you, Nick. All reptiles were banned from ringside. So. <laughs> Roberts fights Savage. After the match, he reaches into a bag underneath the ring, and they're like, there has to be a snake in there. I'm like, no kidding, has to be a snake in there. This guy's been pulling a snake out of his bag since 1986. It's <laughs> November of 1991. Where the hell's Jack Tunney? Where's <laughs> like, put your money where your mouth is. And to me, what like re-watching this to just Tuesday in Texas as like a 39-year-old guy, to me, like I didn't even think I had to write jokes about that. Like just even saying no. it out loud, I, you know, I think there that's was like kind of every, entertaining value there, right? That's pretty much every deep dive we do. We just talk about the absurdity of the right. decisions people make within kayfabe. Like <laughs> some of these things don't make sense. Like after that match, after basically uh, Jake Roberts hit Miss Elizabeth, you know, pulled out this bag. Tony finally gets his butt to the ring. And like ushers Jake out of the ring, like that's it. Like, where's your security? Like, where you know, cops, where, yeah. where's where's the cops? Where's Rene Goulet? Where's anybody? Right? We're just like so casual. Like, hey, Jake, I, that's enough. You know, that's enough. It, it wasn't an officially sanctioned jailhouse <laughs> yeah, match. Yeah, if it was exactly. a jailhouse match, a whole different story. Then, a whole different yeah, exactly. story. But oh, anyway, so I you know I think that uh, to me it was so obvious like re-watching this stuff and to your point on just to get the absurdity of it all yeah. is like why would i want to write about the shoot side of things when i think there is so much you know comedic value just you know, on the surface there's so much and we laugh every single week on this podcast talking about just the, the, the ridiculous things that people do in wrestling that that makes zero sense like we just watched 95 rumble and we watched earl hebner allow mm-hmm. Five people yeah. with the interfere in the match before <laughs> finally disqualifying people. And it's like, what's your you so you watched it, Earl? You let it happen. <laughs> the first four are okay, but the fifth one, I That's gotta it. draw the line. That's too many. Exactly. And you know, I was uh, listening to your episode last week on the 92 Rumble, which I love, by the way. 92 Rumble, obviously, I think like you guys, I think it's the greatest rumble of all time. And Nick loves Virgil. Nick's a huge oh, yeah. Virgil guy. I think Let's I go. put that in the description of the book, I believe. But I have yeah, a tight, uh, have a chapter on the million dollar belt, which was like an unsanctioned title. How that title changed hands was like the most like laissez faire. <laughs> like Ted DiBiase had the belt made, that's fine. Jake Roberts stole the belt, which is fine. It's an unsanctioned belt. They fought for the title at WrestleMania six. DiBiase won by countout, and Jesse Ventura goes, "Oh, well, the title can change hands on account of because it's unsanctioned." 
if it's unsanctioned, there are no rules. <laughs> so if there are no rules, you can't just say, oh, the title can change hands via Cal now. Also, if it's but, unsanctioned, why are you giving him a referee? Right. <laughs> like, it's unsanctioned. <laughs> and I, then the following year at WrestleMania 7, Ted DiBiase wrestles Virgil. Virgil wins by count out. The title didn't change hands. We're making stuff up but as was, we go It was along. non-title, apparently. They never I, said it was for the title. Here's so. They never said it wasn't for the title. And I actually, Nick, I started going back and watching these superstars ahead of that WrestleMania uh -huh. 7 just to make sure. And boy, I think everyone's a bit confused on this unsanctioned <laughs> title rules because I was just like changing hands like all willy-nilly. Right, Obviously, yeah. it finally changed hands at SummerSlam 91. But it's just like so many examples of that where just the rules are just and like, you know, making the best stuff parts as they go. About that is Ted DiBiase was million dollar champ by survivor series because <laughs> at some point during you know weekly television he beat virgil again so right. it's, it's like he gave virgil this moment at SummerSlam. he should have been the next world champ damn it right and okay the, the, he should have won the 92 rumble there okay. was a there was a huge pop at 91 SummerSlam when he won there was That's a what? huge pop yeah it over right it absolutely was. and even was it 90 rumble but he hit him with the belt the crawl went bonkers. Yeah. They, that yeah. was like a really nice build. I think they did a really nice job. Hey, listen, Vince fired Warrior at 91. He could, at SummerSlam 91, he could easily fit Virgil in there. Team with Hulk and Sit right in there. Nobody would have noticed. Nope. <laughs> Y'all funny. Steamless. <laughs> 91 SummerSlam, that main event was, that was probably the worst main event I watched from 85 through 93. Wow. Uh, that, 91 that, SummerSlam. Is that, that the. Was, um, uh, Hogan Warrior versus uh yeah, match made Triangle of Terror. Match, okay, yeah. The match Triangle made of hell. Terror, yes. Because no no handicap any handicap match a team with more wrestlers always loses. Like yes. clockwork. There's never an example where oh, four on two, you know, just a numbers game, Michael Cole, you know, like <laughs> whoever has more wrestlers always lose. And in fact it was like General Adnan and Colonel Mustafa. Like it wasn't even like like Sergeant Slaughter, he had the handicap here. I was like, it wasn't two on one. Warrior, right? Exactly. It was two on one. It was really two on one. Uh, you, you you not only talk about things in kayfabe, but you also kind of blend in some of your real life stories into this as well, including one that surrounds Ricky Steamboat's promo from WrestleMania three. Which, when I read you write down the promo, I laughed out loud because I can. I can hear Ricky Steamboat say those words because I know that promo is a classic promo. You know, the, the the promo he cut before he faced Randy Savage at WrestleMania 3. He's talking about the moments, the seconds and all that. And I was like, and you use this in the conversation with the, with the young lady on, online. And I'd imagine this didn't go that well. But what was it like recounting some of these stories, including that one, which I was on the floor laughing when I read that? You know, I. I feel like I assume that everyone has seen Steamboat Savage a thousand times like me. <laughs> so I may have missed my mark on that one, Vaughn, to be honest. You know, what, what does uh, Steve Mix used to say, the old Sixers announcer, KYP, know your personnel? Yeah. You know, you, you, sometimes, <laughs> yes, you, sometimes you have to know your audience, and I didn't know my audience uh, at that point. But, you know, I, a lot of these stories, uh, when, when I kind of prepare these books, and the third one is I'll create an Excel spreadsheet with all the chapters and you know, this book, I kind of jotted down 40 chapter ideas and I started watching. And then I, if I saw something like, okay, that that's a chapter and I'm getting to 87, but I would also write down a handful of stories from my youth that I think are funny that maybe I can kind of segue in as an introduction to the chapter. Cause when you have 87 chapters, Vaughn, you can afford to take some chances, 
right? If every chapter was presented and introduced the same way, you know, it's probably going to get pretty bland and pretty boring. So if I can incorporate some stories from uh, my childhood that I think, you know, may get a laugh, I'm going to certainly do that. You know, I talk about one story for a uh, WrestleMania six demolition versus a uh, colossal connection. Uh, the kayfabe is Haku never tagged in Andre. Real life, Andre was really hurt at that time. I think right. it was one of his last matches in the World Wrestling Federation. But I compared it to the story when my family got Nintendo. Uh, it came with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. And I had two older siblings, and my sister and brother played Super Mario Brothers all the time. And they wouldn't let me play because I was only four years old. And I would beg them, let me play, let me play. And my sister got so fed up that she gave me a Duck Hunt gun and said, just shoot the mushrooms. And of course, for months, I'm just sitting there, you know, shooting the mushrooms at Super Mario Brothers, you know, not doing squat because, you know, they just, my sisters wanted to keep me quiet. And I equated that to like being Andre the Giant, not getting tagged in, right? So it's like if I can kind of, you know, equate some of these stories from my youth that, you know, I think may get a laugh, I certainly could. There's other stories, I think, just in general, just like I, I don't think I'm well read, but I'm curious. You know, I, there's one story about a, a woman named Rosie Ruiz who actually won the 1980 or 1979 Boston Marathon by skipping the first 25 and a half miles. She basically just got in their last half mile, came out of the crowd, started running, won the race. And when they asked her how she did it and she how she recorded the fastest time, she goes, I was just feeling good that day, which to me was like <laughs> brilliant. And she qualified for the Boston Marathon by placing in the New York Marathon, and she placed in New York Marathon by taking the subway. And I was just like, that, you know, that's brilliant. I remember hearing that story. I'm like, man, like what a cheater, like what a phenomenal cheater to like basically like skip the first 25 and a half miles. So I would write down stories like that, that I heard and I keep it on this spreadsheet. And when I was writing a story on the killer bees, who's always used to wear these masks and cheat, even though they were baby faces, I'm like, man, what if I kind of bring in Rosie Ruiz to kind of intro that chapter as like someone who's blatantly brazenly cheating. And then compare it to these white meat baby faces, B. Brian Blair and Jumpin' Jim Bronzel, or these fan favorites who are like the worst, most egregious cheaters of anybody <laughs> I watched in eight or nine years, but are getting lauded for it and celebrated for it. So, like, what if I bring in this woman who, you know, skipped the first 25 and a half miles of the marathon? So, I think this is always kind of in the back of my mind hearing something, but you know, Vaughn, maybe I can fit that for this chapter. Maybe I can, you know, intro an essay, you know, with this story, whether it's personal or something just in, you know, in real life, but I, I just wanted to be different, right? You know, 87 chapters, you have to be different. And I, uh, I just didn't, I didn't want to present these in the same way. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, will there be a part two and where will we go? If there would be, if there is a part two. So I said this after the first two books is that I'm retired. I said, after a Sixers odyssey, I said, I'm retired. And then I wrote a Phillies odyssey and said, I'm definitely done. And now here I am after Kayfabe of a love story saying, this is it. So I've had more retirements than Sugar Ray Leonard Vaughn. So I don't know what I'm, I'm going to do. Uh, it really, it depends on uh, you know, how this book does, right? You know, if there's a thirst for it. I think the feedback I've gotten has been really positive. Everyone said it's, you know, that's reached out to me, which I appreciate. It's, you know, they've gotten a lot of laughs about it. And I, I joke with people. I said, if you like the book, please tell me tell everybody. And if you hate the book, keep it to yourself. Cause I don't want to handle rejection. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it kind of depends on, you know, how book, how well this book's received, but I think it would make sense from a chronological order to, uh, I stopped at 93 to kind of start from like 94 and then get into the attitude era. And I think 94 and 95 as Nick can attest to is kind of what the cartoon era, the kind of that family, mm -hmm. you know, that family era. 
so I think kind of having a book that kind of mixes in 94, 95 with the more attitude era stuff, I think could be a nice blend if there was a, a sequel to this, but uh, to be determined, I guess right now, Vaughn, I'm retired, but ask me again Friday morning. I may have a different answer for you. So, so what you're saying is there's a chance and it's probably going to be one since you retired twice already. <laughs> or this is the third one. So you're on the Terry Funk track, right? Right. Now. Exactly. <laughs> this is like Terry Funk 97 ECW where I've been retired for three or four years. My horse is sick. I went home for five years, but now I'm coming back. So, yeah, I'm in <laughs> Listen, the ECW need... version. Of Ter- I'm not Chainsaw Charlie yet, but I'm the ECW. No. <laughs> Terry right, Ford, right. Yeah. You're, need... you're begging Dennis Stamp to referee your last <laughs> match. <laughs> exactly. Beyond the match. Beyond the mat, I should say. Exactly. We need the chapter on the four links. I'm telling you, man. We just, <laughs> right. No, we, we don't. The four right. links. <laughs> I know we don't. Ninety three Survivor Series. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. in the book. It's it, it's in the okay, book. I, yeah. I, oh, I, I, I it's, it's called the, you know the worst. I was just, yeah, I was, the worst Survivor Series team ever assembled. <laughs> yes, and they were right. they weren't the worst because I only <laughs> kayfabe wise objectively I could only measure it by the number of eliminations. So if a team got eliminated for nothing and didn't eliminate anybody. By default, that was the only measuring stick I could use. And if you remember the four doinks, they won four nothing. They oh, shut God. out Bam Bam, the Head mm-hmm. Shrinkers, and Bastion Booger. And then laughed at Bam Bam. In and then laughed. And, right. They laughed. And like Bam Bam has a pretty good team, you know, Bastion Booger notwithstanding. But the four <laughs> doinks. So I actually said that Bam Bam's team was the worst Survivor Series team ever assembled because not only did they get shut out, but they lost to a, a horrific. <laughs> a horrific team and if you think about it tag teams in general in that era they did not do well in survivor series like the bushwhackers were like the biggest survivor series pushovers of all time they always they were like the biggest chumps yet here they were in 1993 wearing a couple doink masks you know and you know wiping the floor with bam bam and companies so it was a bad loss it was a bad night at the office for bam bam and a head shrinker so but i do have a chapter kind of focusing on a survivor series i think i have a bit as far as like how our teams even assembled like is That's it like question, is man. it like a Craigslist ad? Like hey, looking, <laughs> looking for one more? You know, like how are the All Americans? We have right. a tryouts. Right. It's always so funny because you always have these team captains, right? So I think like '89, for mm. instance, it was Rick Rude was a captain of one team. Like Rude's brood against uh, yeah. whoever Piper's team was, and I'm always just like, why would I join Piper's team just because he has a beef with Rick Rude? It's Thanksgiving. Like I'm just gonna spend it with my family. Like. <laughs> Why do I care that Rick Rude and Roddy Piper have like this beef going on? You know, you know, not my monkey, not my circus, you know, like, I don't you know, like I'm staying home for Thanksgiving. So to me, that was like a funny kind of premise. It's like, is the other three or other four guys that would join these teams? Like they don't have any, you know, they don't have any skin in the game. They're like, what are they doing? But if there's any team I want to join, it's Million Dollar Man's team. Oh, he, for sure. He was paying his teammates <laughs> off, you know, that 90, 1990, uh, Grand finale match of yeah. survival and he the pre-match promo he was like there's a lot of incentive money around here it's like so I'm like wait is he gonna just pay everyone a million dollars if they win the match oh I hey mean, I'm, I'm game after it, watching the gobbledy gooker come out of that egg let's it's, go it's better I'm than game. working for lex luger for free right exactly. you know, he ain't got no money <laughs> 90s survivor series was so strange because right it had the ultimate survival and dibiase has that promo because he has power and glory and Rick Martell because they shut uh, yeah. they shut out Jake's team. And right, DiBiase says, yeah, a lot of incentive if we win. And the whole time I'm like, what incentive, DiBiase? Like, what are you getting out of this? You're not getting a title shot. Like, 
it's just a glorified tag match. Like, what a bad investment. But I remember this promo. I'm just like, like, what are we? Why are we paying like Power and Glory like to beat Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, and Tito Santana? Like, look, look, for, you, you Dave, know, like, you're only proving my point. Even within kayfabe, Survivor Series means nothing. When, when, <laughs> like, I, it means I nothing. will say, the next night he faced the Ultimate Warrior for the title. That was, you know, that was his, a main event. The main event special. We did a deep dive on that. That was like one of our That's first true. ones. That's true. But it had nothing to do with Survivor Series. <laughs> because he lost a match, but he still got a title shot. So, <laughs> so, so save your money. <laughs> don't go paying Hercules. You're getting a title shot anyway, it sounds like. This is... but I, I agree with you. I don't, the Survivor Series, it didn't, didn't mean anything. I think 87 Survivor Series, I really enjoyed because it was the first one uh, right. and kind of rewatching them. But you're right. Like a lot of them were just like, in 87, 88, it was like those 10 on 10 tag matches. Oh, so the tag the tag what, team Survivor yeah. Series matches are the longest matches in the history of wrestling. Yeah. And you couldn't see anything because there's so many wrestlers. <laughs> so it's like the camera, it's just like I'm watching a match like between Barzukov's legs because the cameraman can't even get in there. And I'm like, God, this is 42 minutes. Like I should, you know, I should flip some laundry here. On and on and on. Like, I it was like each guy had to get eliminated. They eliminate nine people, or was it had to eliminate? Was it one guy in the tag team was going? I forget the I rule. Think, I think it was one guy in the team get eliminated, but it was both matches, both years oh. were about 45 minutes each. Yeah, oh so, man, so yeah, you could like walk your dog and come back, and like only the Russo brothers have been eliminated. Like, yeah, this much, you know. You'd, you'd play, it, you'd play it, those early time. ones, it took a while for like the first elimination, too. Bruh. It was like 15 20 minutes before the first one. They, like, they, they were, they, they put their working boots on. Uh, in those early Survivor Series matches. But again, Kayfabe, a love story, available wherever books are found. Uh, go get your copy. Go cop that right now. Uh, some funny stories in there. Just off based off what I've read, it's hilarious. So I know I'm getting me a copy. Nick already has his copy. You can get yours too, wherever. Again, books are found. Kayfabe, a love story. And, and Nick is showing off his Virgil uh, trading card. I'm sure he's happy to own that. KYP, Nick. Know your, know your personnel. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I knew you're a Virgil guy. Um, moving on from the book, though, real quick, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the big news from yesterday and that WWE is moving to, or I say Raw, I should say, is moving to Netflix starting in January of 2025, uh, live on Netflix over the course of, uh, the deal's worth $5 billion over the course of 10 years, uh, which is obviously a nice chunk of money. Uh, but I'll start with Dave real quick. Quick thoughts on WWE and Netflix having a business partnership. Also, I forget to mention big news from yesterday. The Rock is on the board of TKO. So if you want to talk about that a little bit. But yes, WWE and Netflix and, of course, The Rock on TKO. I think it was Xavier Woods had a great joke where he said, uh, does La Femme Nikita uh, air right after uh, Raw on Netflix? <laughs> Which There's like um, a new La Femme Nikita on there, right? Right. I, I'm mad that I didn't come up with that joke because I think that's brilliant. <laughs> I think that's a great joke. The, the one thing I like, is it a conflict of interest that the network is on Peacock? Like, I wonder if like, will the network eventually move over to Netflix? Cause it seems to, why would you have two streaming services? Like that was like the first question in my mind, but when I'll come in from a guy who'd been watching, you know, 87 wrestling challenge for the last 20 years, you know, for the last, so, <laughs> but I did wonder about like a conflict of interest there. I don't know if you guys, yeah, I, I, in the press release, it didn't say that they got like their whole library. It just said we're raw, and I think they do will catalog SmackDowns and NXTs mm -hmm. on there. 
and they will have i think premium live events too right i don't know if they don't have them in the u.s or international 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 premium live events okay so i'll assume they still have a deal with peacock i had peacock's still going to air premium live events and they'll have the library there's a spread in the wealth i think it's still mainly just for raw deal their peacock deals through 2026 and i okay at least i think i read that i did not double check that so don't hold if i'm wrong then it's your fault um (laughs) (laughs) but uh if that is accurate uh, I could see them, you know, just moving everything from Peacock to Netflix eventually. Sure. I think Netflix will probably be their home at, at you know, within the next few years for sure, for everything. It should, it's a huge amount of money. I think selfishly as a fan, I actually think there's going to be a lot of great documentaries that probably come from that because I think Netflix in general does a really good job. So it's I remember uh, I think they were trying to do a, a documentary series. I think they only did Yokozuna. If I remember, like I think it was like Lex Luger and British Bulldog were like next in the pipeline. But I think yeah. they only did Yokozuna, so I'm wondering if that's like a great opportunity now that Netflix is kind of has some skin in the game. That maybe like some of these documentaries that you know a lot of these these projects that never got off the ground, that maybe they can kind of you know start gaining steam again. I think it's just a, an insane amount of money, and I think pro wrestling. I think it's you know it's kind of like you know the attitude there is like sometimes you're running cold like in '95, sorry Nick, and sometimes you're running mm-hmm. hot. And I think right now it's running hot. I hope what I, I what I find funny on social media is kind of uh, this kind of if you like WWE, you can't like AEW or vice versa. Mm-hmm. To me, I can't wrap my head around that because when I was growing up, when I was like thirteen during the Monday Night Wars, is I love flicking back and forth. So it's hard for me to like see just like people like openly rooting for AEW's demise and, you know, AEW's they're running cold right now, but like you want the competition, right? I think WWE has been so good the past couple of years is because AEW was kind of on their heels and kind of putting out a pretty good product. And I think we've seen when WWE is running solo and they're the only show in town, I think that's when a product gets watered down a little bit. So it's, I do, and this is completely a tangent off topic, but it does like drive me crazy when I see people like, ah, only, 1500 people at the AEW show, like LOL. Like, why are you like rooting for that? Like, what, you know, where's, you know, where's the juice in that? But it's just an absurd amount of money. And selfishly, uh, I hope some great documentaries come out of it uh, based off uh, since Netflix, you know, involvement. You got got some quick thoughts, Nick? Yeah. Just to, as a decide of that, and then I'll get into the Netflix deal. Um, I all kind of write to that a little bit um, sometimes where I get, in the mud on Twitter where, you know, I, I, and mostly it's just trolling type things, but it stems from, uh, you know, if you, when WWE was cold for a lot of the 2010s, you know, there was a lot of years we started this podcast in 2015 and there was a lot of bad that we talked about for many years, uh, before COVID, but it was, you know, for me, AEW does something similar that WWE did back then and they get like praise for it. And I'm just, it annoys me. I'm like, no, like we can't let AEW get praise for the same thing that we hated in WWE just because it's not WWE. We just don't want that at all. Like, sure. The, the, um, what what kind of turned me off a little bit was the Tyson Jericho, you know, pull apart brawl years ago that all media was trying to kind of push as another Austin Tyson thing. And, that kind of made me step back and be like, okay, there's clearly a push to 
make sure AEW stays in, in yeah. as that competitor to WWE by many, um, regardless of the content. So it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but that's my problem. Like sure. that's something that I have to deal with. Um, <laughs> that's you know, like I don't want you know AEW to die because you're exactly right. AEW succeeds, the wrestling business succeeds, but don't tell me you love something on AEW where just like you know the year prior the same thing happened on WWE TV and you hated it. Completely fair. Just be you know like consistent, the same. You know, just be the same. I don't right. know. Just have the same reaction that you would as if it were on either show. Like right now, I have Dynamite on. Jeff Hardy's coming out. Why are we seeing Jeff Hardy on Dynamite? Like I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to see him on Raw or SmackDown. Just right. Get, get the Hardys out of here type thing, but pe people love it. People love it. And listen, again, my problem to deal with. Right. That's just where, you know, people probably see some of my tweets that are more anti-AEW than anti-WWE, but you're right. It's because AEW is a little cold. WWE's hot. We didn't think we'd see WWE in this shape for, I don't know if we ever saw ever again, because we're like, Vince is never going to go away. It's going right. to be a terrible product for forever. So we're kind of in a spot now where like we can breathe a little bit and be like, oh my God, we have two companies that mainstream companies that we can watch easily every week, just kind of like give us their best shot or at least right. build stories. And there's a payoff. They don't insult us for, you know, watching type thing. Sure. And that we haven't had that since the Monday Night Wars, really. Um, so I, I enjoy that. As for the Netflix deal. Uh, what's it? It's not a hundred percent increase, I think, in their because right now they're getting like two thirty something million per year. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar for, with the uh, from USA or yeah, NBC. not sure about the percentage increase, but so it's an increase. Like we know that for million, sure, right? It's gonna be like five hundred million per year now. So yeah, that's that's obviously good for them. Hopefully, they spend it on talent, but uh, we know that's I don't know if they will spend most of it on talent. But you can resign people. You can pay the stars that you create because now you're creating right. stars there's been a lot of people over a lot more people over now than there were you know five years ago when wwe was the only thing vince cared about it wasn't building stars it was making sure no one got bigger than the initials wwe so um now it's different you know i don't know if triple h has that same mindset but there's stars on wwe every week so um, that's also different. We haven't seen that in forever. So I think the wrestling business as a whole is in an excellent space right now. Yep. AEW has their deal coming up, which I'm sure will be very um, lucrative, lucrative for them. Yeah. So I was going to say luxurious, and I'm like, no, that's not the word I'm looking for. I, I, know, it starts with LU. I know it starts with the LU, but <laughs> lucrative. So, um, you know, that'll be, I'm sure, an exciting day when they announce it eventually. You got Swerve, you know, probably going to be their star of the future, uh, break it out. So uh, a lot of good in, in wrestling now. And you're right. I, I I let other people affect my view of it way too much. And again, that's a me problem. But if I just take a step back, I'm like, man, wrestling is awesome. Right. And it's in an awesome spot right now. Yeah, I think uh, I looked at the deals from as far as like a uh, viewership standpoint, just like consumer standpoint and how the habits are changing. Obviously, I mean, obviously, streaming is not just the future. It's, it is the now and it is the future as far as live television. Clearly, I mean, that was like the last pillar they hadn't really 
accomplished knocked down yet as far as you know it's worldwide domination of entertainment they got everything else streaming has the best tv shows the best reality shows the best dramas the best comedies the best movies right. they're getting nominated for awards they're at netflix movies that get that win awards like major awards like oscars and stuff like that so the only thing they hadn't really conquered and i'm talking about streaming platforms as a you know a monolith all of them you know not just netflix uh was live sports and uh, live entertainment and Amazon has gotten a deal with Netflix, not the, not Netflix, the NFL for Thursday night football games. Obviously, WWE has to deal with Peacock for the premium live events, uh, and so on and so forth. There's other things. AEW has, you know, they stream their pay per views on Bleacher Report uh, live, so not like they're a stranger to this neither. Uh, so yeah, it's just the way sports is right now. It's just the way it is, kind of uh, at the moment. It's just the way the leaves are blowing. We just saw an NFL game, NFL playoff game. Be on Peacock exclusively for 110 million dollars for you know from NBC to get that game, just one game to exclusively air it on Peacock, uh, and it still drew I think 23 million viewers. That's a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I'm sure Peacock was happy with that. Right. Uh, I'm sure the advertising was through the roof of that, and I'm sure they got they gained a lot of new subscribers because of that. And they're pretty much forcing the change. Like some people aren't ready to, to be exclusive to streaming. Some people aren't ready to cut that cord. The cable companies certainly aren't ready for that cord to get cut, obviously. But these streaming platforms, which, you know, they got all the content right now. They got the juice and they know it kind of. And they know that if they will, you know, purchase the rights and purchase the exclusivity of these live events, the people will find a way to watch them. People will find a way. You know, people love the NFL. The NFL somehow gains viewers year after year. Somehow they go up right. in ratings. Only getting more fans. So you think these people are just going to not watch football? (laughs) They're going to do what they got to do. I'm sure there's people who didn't think football games on cable would work. They were like, you can't put a game on cable. It's got to be on network television over the air. And nobody would ever do that. You're limiting the audience. And guess what? There's games on cable every week now. The same will be done for streaming. The problem is, though, there are people who just haven't adapted to the technology because they're from a prior generation or... They don't have the means to adapt to the technology because they literally don't have the resources. They just don't have the technology. They don't have access to it. Um, and But the companies, the big conglomerates who are exchanging this money, they don't care, obviously. They're taking the money and the people will follow. So, so I was kind of surprised, but I'm not that surprised at the same time. And it's beneficial for WWE because they get to have uh, network television, uh, cable television, and streaming. Yep. Smackdown's on USA. Net, uh, NXT is on CW. That's network television. And Raw's on the biggest streaming platform in the world on Netflix. 200, over 200, almost 300 million subscribers. I think they got 274 is the exact number. So it's a big win for all the rich people involved. <laughs> but for some <laughs> out there, not so much. But uh, it's interesting stuff. It's, it's, it's the dawning of a new era. January 2025. Mm-hmm. It will be we're looking at Monday Night Raw. No longer, it might not be Monday Night Raw. That's was, also that was, a thing. It's not. A, they haven't guaranteed it's going right. to continue on Mondays because they don't necessarily want to have to compete with Monday Night Football anymore. So we'll see. It might be Tuesday Night Raw. Who who knows? Um, and if they leave Mondays, will AEW go to Mondays? Who knows? Like we'll see how that goes. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, it's obviously, the NFL will be great. Jacksonville uh, uh, right. Jaguar Monday night game and then having competing Dynamite against the collision AEW collision. 
Where would Tony go? What does he do? What you know, does Daly's place and Jaguars home games? I'll go back and forth. <laughs> He's getting the golf cart back and forth. Pull a Rick Rude. <laughs> what does USA air at eight o'clock Monday, January twenty twenty five? Is it Law and Order SVU? Like, where are you going? Like, yeah. where suits? Suits, right? Something, yeah. I think okay. now it's okay. it's not allowed. I'm sure there's so many reasons why they can't. But if I'm you know a, a top exec at USA, I'm having some fun, and then January 2025, I'm airing the first episode of Raw. I'm going January 1993, <laughs> and just seeing if anybody would notice. <laughs> you know, like 801, and it's it's Vince, it's Bobby Heenan, maybe and the I'm, first three, so you have that three hour block. Right, exactly. <laughs> one, from, two, three, because uh, it's only an hour <laughs> long. That's right. From the Manhattan Center and just like seeing how long before everybody catches on. And you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you get 10 minutes, maybe you get five, maybe you get an hour. I don't know. But Look, and seriously, so I'm I'm Tony Khan. I'm hitting up Warner Brothers if they leave Monday. I'm like, hey, we, can we get collision on Mondays? Because right. we need to get off Saturdays. Sure. Even Monday is a better night than a Saturday. Yep. Uh, but transitioning from that, we got a big pay-per-view this weekend, y'all. I don't know if y'all remember, but the Royal Rumble this is this weekend. Oh. Nick and I will be on the round table with John Jansen and Jason Finelli later on this week. So we're going to talk in depth about our Royal Rumble predictions and thoughts. But I just wanted to talk to you, Dave, about your Royal Rumble picks. Who you got? I'm perplexed with the Cody Rhodes situation. Is I thought all roads would lead to him, pun not intended, to him winning the Rumble and then you know winning at WrestleMania against Reigns. But with The Rock coming back, and I almost feel like it's too obvious pre-Rock showing up if he won the Rumble and then beat Reigns. I don't know if Rhodes is going to wrestle Reigns at WrestleMania. It doesn't sound like Rock's not saving that for Australia. Like That's going to be WrestleMania. So I'm going to say CM Punk wins. With the caveat is I don't know what you do with Cody Rhodes, but I'm also the guy who thought that Sami Zayn should have won in Montreal last year. So I'm like the worst person to ask. <laughs> I was like one of those. I was like that minority. I'm like, I don't know. Sami Zayn's really over. It'd be a great moment. Like a Mick Foley on Monday Night Raw. But I'm going to say Punk wins. I think that's probably the safest bet. Who you got winning the Women's Rumble? Bailey? I don't know if there's any other. I can't. I think men's is more open as far as potential winners. I think like maybe Brock Lesnar could be a name that's certainly big enough that could win i think you can get punk and depending on seth rollins health another way but i think the women's is i can't think of too many other options you know like maybe live morgan like nothing's really jumping out at me it's i guess the you know the wild card is where what where who has you know is sasha banks employed by i guess is like the big name but like i feel like the women's i'm kind of scrambling to find other viable options other than Bailey and correct me if I'm wrong here but I think the men's seems more wide open there's more names available I would agree with you on that uh I'm, I haven't made my prediction just yet I, I'm going to write a column for USA Today I'm going to do the round table so I still need some time to deliberate sorry straight shooters <laughs> viewers but I still need time but make sure that you check out those two things now we got the podcast and we got a written content coming up some some a written piece coming out so be on the lookout but I, I still need time to deliberate go into the lab and really you know, put the, the game plan on the wall and figure it out. But Nick, I don't know if you want to give some quick thoughts on the rumble. Real uh, quick. As far as the women's rumble, I agree with Dave. It, it, it doesn't seem as open as uh, the men's, but as, you know, I also, 
maybe by design, I just haven't paid close attention to the participants. And I remember I did read something where they haven't really announced as many as they usually do they in the previous years. There's only, I believe, nine or ten people that's been that's declared. At least I wrote a story just literally listing the people out who's in it and uh, the chances of winning. There's literally, as of that writing, were four women and I think five or six men. Man. Wow. So, I mean, you're obviously going to see some people we see weekly, but how many surprises will we get? Maybe will we get more than we have the last couple of years? Uh, you know, I, I remember people uh, will get upset because they're announcing too many names, but it's like, does it really matter if like our truth is a surprise entrant that you don't know about versus that you do know about? Like, I don't that I, I just never understood like that thought process of also, who are the surprises really they they got this massive Otis. roster <laughs> like, <you laughs> right. they Otis, are Chad Gable is like oh I wish they wouldn't have told me that they would have been in the match it's like well, why As, if there's of course like they're going to announce the biggest names in the they, match they can announce 25 and I'd be cool with it because that's five people five opportunities that you just don't know like I, and I'm cool with that because Dave you know Early Rumbles, they announced everybody. Yeah. They knew exactly who was coming in. I mean, there Warlords was no number 30, Monsoon would tell you. <laughs> yes. I'm like, who's number 30? He's like, oh, it's, it's got to be the Warlord. Like, oh, man, what a letdown. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just like, as a matter of fact. Thanks, Gorilla. Like, you know? <laughs> exactly. And it, it's just so funny because we, we did the deep dive of the 95 Rumble. Vaughn did a great impression of Vince McMahon. Oh, Vince. Every single entrant, <laughs> he's gonna win the Royal Rumble. Will he win the Royal Rumble match? Will he main event WrestleMania? It's the same exact thing. So, and I always make the chest puff out because this is yeah, Vince. Exactly. I just imagine like he's all big and burly. He's like right. talking with his chest moving. <laughs> and like they they announced everyone back then too. Even in '95, you know, like they announced Dick Murdoch. I had no idea who that was going into that. I had that '95 Rumble. I was nine years like... old. It's like they're checking like no the yellow idea. pages for guys. Like, Bro, it's like the Rick worst Mor Rumble of all time. Oh, horrible. Like Rick Martell hadn't wrestled in years, and it's like, oh, it's the model. Yeah. Like, that, that guy hasn't been around since WrestleMania eight here. Like, what? <laughs> where where has he been in for three years? <laughs> How many dark matches against Jim Powers has he been wrestling? Because I haven't seen him on TV in years, but it was like so commonplace. I think 95 is a good example. It's like they never had if you had a title, you weren't in the rumble. Like Razor Ramon mm. was never in a rumble. Like sometimes you should have made an exception back then. and had like another name there, but yeah. <laughs> like Dick yeah. Murdoch is yeah. like such a, like Dick Murdoch. Like <laughs> I think he finished like fourth or fifth or something. Cause he, he, Cause entered, he, was that late. So, he entered so late and it just like, <laughs> like, like, oh, like yeah. I'm only 11 years old, but Dick Murdoch's not winning the rumble. Like, come on, no. like <laughs> fool me once, you know, shame when, on me, you know? <laughs> You know, Vince wanted to put that little kernel of doubt in yeah, your mind right. that he could. Will he win? <laughs> and another big one is like anytime there was a big guy, like how do like how do you get ninety five King yeah. Kong Bundy over the top rope? I mean, they've been getting Andre <laughs> over the top, top rope for years. Yeah, the top Andre's heavy. It's just, very yeah, easy to get them over. Just bring like, a I've snake in, it. and you'll get Andre and King Kong Bundy. They all jump out of the ring. But that's always like a big trope. It's just like, oh, you're never gonna get Bam Bam. You're never gonna get the big boss man over the top rope. <laughs> Come on, ninety six. Yeah, Shawn Michaels eliminated right. Yokozuna and Vader. Right, like what are we doing here? It's there's really, a way. It's very easy. Yeah, we'll find a way. We'll find a way. <laughs> you think AJ Lee returned? Right, that seems like an obvious oh, that, one. That's right, a good, that's a good name. Ooh, man, that'd be wild. That, that the roof might come off the place in uh, Tampa. Because I'm, I think there's more, after that. 
I think there's more um, leeway in the women's rumbles for like the legends. Sorry, quote unquote, like this. this yeah. surprised me. I think the men, right? It's hard to find spots anymore. Like I, yeah. we're growing up, it was just like the rumble is always filled with like tag teams. It's like here's Butch. <laughs> yeah. Ten minutes later, here's Luke. Back, back to back, like right. the '95 one had the smoking guns back to back, and they had like another tag team. I, oh, well done, I think it was. You were trying to. Just, uh, they were just... not even worried creatively about. Okay, you're gonna draw number twenty three. You're number twenty four. You might as well bring them out <laughs> at the same time. To be honest, like what's the <laughs> why did you... yeah right exactly. instead of twenty three and twenty four to make it twenty three A and twenty three B. But I think there's so many wrestlers now is that like tag teams for the most part like, you can't even fit those in. So like on the men's side it's like how much even room is there for surprises? Because I think there's just right. so many guys in general. I think all of them have like because they get so much TV time now. It's like there aren't like there aren't, there are not many chumps. Right? There aren't that right. many chumps where it's just like you know you know Bushwhacker Luke's not winning the rumble. Like in today's <laughs> market, like today's climate, like all the guys have like a pretty good reputation and all guy you know you know a lot of steam behind them. So I just don't know how much room there are. But I think on the women's side. There was more room for uh, some surprises. I would have Medusa bring her old title that she refuses to sell. <laughs> like I would absolutely that she threw in the trash can that she still has possession of. Like I'd be flaunting that thing, but I'd be probably the only person have that Mick cares Foley about come that. Out and steal it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the episode, like the first time she's like, "No, nah, I'm not selling it." Yeah. On the, on the the treasure show in eighty, which is like, oh, stand up. Good, so good for you. She hurt. Yeah, she hurt his feelings, but yeah, good Mick, for Mick you. just thought she would give it up. It's like. She was like, "Nope, I'm good." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, WWE no. gave it to me. I'm keeping it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's just it. Please leave my house. Please leave my house, man. Also, yeah. it's something that people want to see when I do autograph signings. Because right, it's true. That's true. Like, if I give it to you, they they don't. Maybe they won't pay as much. I don't know. Right. Uh, but to wrap it around back to kayfabe, a love story. Uh, one chapter in the book is the odds for the '92 Royal Rumble, and I won't read them all here, but. You know, got to buy the book to get them all. But two of my favorites, uh, one is for Macho Man Randy Savage plus 1800. Also, these are courtesy of DraftKings, according to the book, right? <laughs> Completely uh, legit. Completely right. legit. Official odds, official sports book, you know, official sports book of WWE and many other companies. In 1992. Yeah. In 1992. <laughs> you know, in the glory days of uh, sing single game betting and stuff like that. Uh, but the, the blur we have here listed for Macho Man and, and his odds again, plus 1800. Uh, one of the best to ever do it, but is winning a top priority? <laughs> see, ab see above, which we got a Jake Roberts one above him. Um, been seeing red at the re receiving the worst wedding gift ever. <laughs> <laughs> is winning a top priority? <laughs> that's, that's great foreshadowing. Is that foreshadowing? I don't know. Um, I mean, he and then the last one. But all right, the last one I read here is Ric Flair plus two thousand. Okay, his credentials speak for themselves, but at just two hundred and forty pounds, expert don't believe his style of match suits the, this style of match suits the Nature Boy would benefit from a later entry number to reduce the wear and tear. Hard to imagine a deep run. <laughs> I think part of it is, I think it's one thing to try to be funny and be over the top. But I think I get more joy of like trying to play like the straight lace character. It's like <laughs> obviously Rick Flerick. You're not reading this book. You're not buying a book called K Fable Love Story. Like, well, I wonder who wins the '92 Rumble. You know, <laughs> you've seen the '92 Rumble. So I think just me saying like, I don't know, 243 pounds. Like, you know, Royal Rumble is a big man's game. I just don't see it. So I think it's just obviously everyone's in on the joke, but as opposed to like hitting you over the head with it, if I just 
to me, it was always funnier when there's moments where I can just kind of, you it, know, it, say something subtly, but like with a wink and a nod. Yeah. You guys know. I mean, it'd be terrible if he drew a number like three or something, that'd right? Like, that'd be horrible. You have no it'd be chance. horrible for him. Yeah. Yeah. Trick gorilla. Greatly yeah, decreases can't trick gorilla. eyes. Can't trick gorilla. You can kiss it goodbye, <laughs> brain. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's one when, when Nikolai Volkov comes out on that and he goes, oh, what a feather in a cap it would be for like Slovakia or Yugoslavia. <laughs> and Monsoon goes, he's Russian. And Gorilla goes, ah, whatever. Or something like that. <laughs> I, I, I butchered the phrase, but it's something along those lines. It just, <laughs> I I think a lot of those matches, like 92 Rumble is a great example. WrestleMania 3, Steamboat 7, which is my favorite match of all time, is the commentary, I think, really, it, it really elevates it. And everyone loves uh, Heenan and Monsoon, but like, don't sleep on Monsoon and Ventura. Like, to me, they were like, that was like the big match team. Because I think, mm. I think Heenan was always a bit more of a, a jokester. And I think sometimes, and I, I love Bobby, but I think it maybe took away from the matches where I think Ventura had like almost like the big fight feel. So I think it's he was always kind of better suited in like the in the title matches. But I mean, 92 Rumble, that was probably Heenan's well, shining moment. He was fantastic, obviously. Dude, right on the money. Because yeah. first match I saw, Hogan Warrior, Jesse Ventura, Hulkamania will live forever. Yeah. And Hogan loses the Undertaker of Survivor Series, and Heenan goes, Hulkamania's dead. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just the obviously you know this you know the difference. So Ventura, Ventura, you know, doing that to me, I I didn't look at him as like a heel commentator because that was the first time I ever heard him. Right. And he was like, Hulkamania will live forever, Monsoon. And it's like, oh, so he's like literally giving Hulk Hogan credit when in reality he hated his guts, but right. like he did his job and you know, sure did hate him. Uh, still hates him. Hogan <laughs> still lost him. once, yeah. Hogan lost once, and it's like Hulkamania is dead. He's dead, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just long live the Undertaker. Like just hilarious. hilarious. Nick, did you like that WrestleMania six match? Because I have a chapter on that one. Obviously, it's I hated as a kid because I love both guys. Like it was, it was a yeah, hard watch that, for me. So for, for me, the my first like the guy I was a fan of first was Ultimate Warrior because mm-hmm. he was the champ. You know, and I, I was like, of course, I'm going to like the winner. So Nick um, the bandwagoner over here now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. I didn't know who Hulk Hogan was. Like, yeah, you're a Phillies fan. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because like Hulk lost. Yeah, those, like, those front running Phillies yeah, fans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, we won a lot. We won a lot in 120 years. Haven't oh, we? yeah. <laughs> and lost a lot, too, apparently. <laughs> The most ever, right? Something like that. Isn't it the, the first team of 10,000 losses back in the yeah, day? Absolutely. I was at that game. I was at loss number 10,000. Uh, yeah. Nice. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Go ahead. Go what ahead. a moment. Ahead. What a yeah. moment. But yeah, no, I, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't realize Hulk left too for a few months. He came back at SummerSlam and I actually went there apparently. I vaguely remember. Um, I had people telling me I was there. That's why I vaguely remember. But I'm, I'm trying to remember like when it was at the Spectrum, the seat I was in. Uh, for the cage match, and I remember the Ultimate Warrior climbing the cage and shaking it, and like watching it on TV. I'm like, I I definitely remember seeing that, like so, and I definitely remember walking the concourse. So I, I definitely believe I was there. Plus, I had people telling me I was there, but that was my first ever wrestling event. So yeah, Ultimate Warrior was my guy at that time. Right. So Hulk Hogan comes back, um, and I just. I didn't realize he was the guy until he beat Sergeant Slaughter at WrestleMania. So, yeah, and it never, I always thought it was Ultimate Warrior giving Hulk Hogan the rub, you know? Sure. Like I, I didn't sure. realize it was the other way around until right. I was older. So, yeah. 
I think it was just a baby face versus baby face match was like never done. Probably yeah. really not done again for funny. years. I had no clue. I yeah, no right. Clue. So yeah, ignorance is bliss in your case. But yeah. I remember just like I think in the chapter, I was like, I was just relieved it was over. Like I hated like <laughs> it was like watching my two friends fight. Like I don't I don't want any of these guys to lose, you know? Just glad it's over. Yeah, right. And nobody got hurt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except Hulk's feelings. Yeah, right. He was crying. Yeah. It's like, oh you know. He's a competitor. Yeah. Um, but Dave, let's wrap it up here. Plug away with everything you want to plug about the book or anything else you got going on in your life. Sure. Uh please. And thanks for joining us, by the way. I should say that first. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, awesome. Uh you spent over an hour with us. Took a, probably too much of your time, but we appreciate you hanging out with us and talking good old fashioned wrestling, which is what we do and what we love to do. Uh, but again, plug away with anything you got going on, and of course, every anything and everything regarding the book. Sure. First, thanks for having me. I could I could talk about uh, old school wrestling for about four hours. So this was just scratching the surface. So it's a good thing you cut off my mic. Eventually, I would just still be keep going. Uh, so Kayfabe, a love story, right? It's a, a book written in uh, Kayfabe. It is 87 chapters, but they're only a couple pages long. Uh, when I wrote a Sixers Odyssey, there was a Reddit thread about my book, and someone described it as the perfect poop book. Because they kept it in the bathroom because each chapter was only a couple pages long. And I remember reading that thread and being like horrified that like I spent all this time and all this blood, sweat and tears writing a book and people have identified it as a poop book. And I remember my wife saying, well, at least they're reading it at all. So I was like, ah, so read it wherever you want. Read it in the bathroom, the bus, the train, the living room. Uh, it's my third book. If you're a Sixers fan, I wrote a Sixers Odyssey. Phillies fan, I wrote a Phillies Odyssey. Uh, you can you can buy any of these books on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you buy books online, bookshop.org. And uh, it's meant to be funny. Uh, it's obviously it's, it's written tongue in cheek and uh, every page and every chapter and every essay was written uh, with kind of an audience in mind. And I really wanted to audience to laugh with me as opposed to laughing you know, at someone. It's kind of part of the reason why I didn't want to go to the shoot side of things is I didn't want to be, I think with wrestling, I think there's kind of an over-reliance on snarkiness. Uh, certainly as far as, you know, Brutus Beefcake, you know, one with the sleeper hold. And I wasn't the only one who fell asleep during that match or any sub <laughs> BS like that, right? Like that's just not me. That's just not my sense of humor. I always believe kind of punching up in comedy. So I think writing a book in kayfabe is I'm able to kind of poke fun at characters, you know, and not human beings. It's not something that I would ever feel comfortable with. So I hope you guys can read the book and, you know, it's, you know, laugh along with me. All right. Well, thanks for joining us again, Nick. You want to wrap us up yeah. for episode 384? Could you take us out with some plugs, please? Absolutely. You can follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter slash X. We'll post uh, some of those links to Dave's other books as well, in case you want to check those out. And you can follow me at underscore Picone on Twitter slash X. And check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Shooters Radio. Also, check out our podcast at foxphlgambler.com. Just click the upper right tab. Podcasts, we're right there. All our latest episodes right there. iHeartRadio at foxphlgambler.com. And we're going to be on the Fox PHL The Gambler, the roundtable. Again, coming right. up this week. Talking Hopefully about the it'll be Rumble. on the air Friday. You know, if it's not on the air Friday, it will be podcasted. So we will, you know, send that link out as well. There you go. But I am at Vaughn M. Johnson. You can find me there. Oh, I'm at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter, I should say, or X, whatever you want to call it. 
Uh, you can find me there or find me out here in these streets sometimes. The snow's cleared up, so I might be out here in these streets a little bit more. Finally. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash shootersradio, where you can request a future deep dive. And when you make that request, we will fulfill it. And we'll have you make a cameo on the show to talk about the show we're diving into. It does not have to be a wrestling pay-per-view, although we often do those. Uh, it can be a wrestling TV show. It can be a wrestling-related movie. We have done those in the past. We did Ready to Rumble a couple years ago. We did Santa with Muscles uh, during the holidays last year. Classic episode. Go listen to it in the archives. We've done documentaries like Beyond the Mat, where we did talk about extensively Terry Funk's many retirements and the times he, the time he begged Dennis Stamp to be the official on his last match ever. And Dennis Stamp refused because he was not booked. Okay? <laughs> Remember that. I'm not booked. I'm not going. <laughs> Rest in peace of Dennis Stamp and Terry Funk. But again, uh, check us out there. Uh, and again, we'll fulfill your request. You can make a cameo on the show and we'll have a lot of fun. So again, patreon.com slash shooters radio. You can find my writing on wrestling junkie. That is wrestling junkie.usatoday.com. I've already written about the, uh, WWE and Netflix deal. I'll be writing some more rumble predictions as well later this week. So you can check me out there. And one last shout out to Dave Ruders for joining us, uh, and check out the book. Kayfabe, a love story again, available wherever books are found it's hilarious uh just from the portions that i've read i laughed out loud multiple times i'm sure you will too so go check it out but for dave and for nick thanks for listening to episode 384 of the straight shooters and we'll catch y'all again next week peace